Good morning and welcome. You've got Dustin Atwood here in the studio. We're going to do a different show than normal. I don't want to always, like everybody that tunes in, think that it's, you know, kind of like your your preacher talking to you, that it's gloom and doom all the time. Uh, (laughs) So I like to do something fun and upbeat. And we do, like, iconic movie cars and trucks and whatnot. And we're going to do some of that today. But what really kind of provoked the thought about putting this show together was, why do you like your car? Or, why do you hate your car? Or, are you indifferent? And you're like, ah, it's just a a commuter. It's to get me from point A to point B. And that really kind of got me thinking and down a little trail internally that, you know, why is it that I love cars so much? Or, why and how do I view, and and I do absolutely love them. I think there's some cool cars out there. I'm definitely uh, kind of a truck guy. That's that's my bag. I look at them as pieces of equipment, if you will. They are assets and they perform a role. They create their own revenue and are able to produce a function. Uh, sometimes your view may be uh, fuel economy and you're using it as straight commuter and you need super gas mileage. Uh, it's really kind of what do you what is your mindset about it and where did that come from? A lot of that, at least for me, obviously my dad was a dealer guy most of my life and I, I was a big part of that. He took me to work a ton and uh, I hung out there and helped and, you know, kind of was the free labor, if you will, which paid dividends later. That's one of those lessons, you know, as you age. I can remember my mom and dad both, you know, when I was probably anywhere from like 12 to 17, if you will. You know, at that point in your time in your life, you know everything, uh, especially now with the Internet the way it is. You can Google and be expert on anything. Uh, there's a little sarcasm in there in case nobody caught that. But I can remember them being frustrated where they're like, hey, you you have a lot to learn still. And now that I've you know, been doing this for, for a long time and, and have kids of my own and see myself in them and 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 kind of getting the payback on that those lessons that I really didn't realize were sinking in or some of the the teachings back then I see and identify now you know and part of that was the automotive industry for me personally Um, but a big part of that out there also came from a lot of the movies uh, a lot of entertainment if you will they have been a character if you will, uh, and sometimes the lead character in movies forever. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, kind of some of my perceptions of it. Some of them on the list, I thought, yeah, you know, they're okay, That you know, to each their own. One of the very first ones, if you do any research out there, because I didn't want this just to be my research, and, and you'll know the ones that are my favorites, because it'll show, I promise. But if you do any research out there of what like most people think of iconic movie uh, cars or trucks, whatever you want to float your boat there, um, the Aston Martin from 007 pulls up there. And that definitely is a cool car. I mean, as you know, I have had kids and, uh, you know, they've kind of reintroduced that character through the Cars franchise a little bit. Uh, you know, it's a cool car. It's really not my Thing, and I don't know, maybe because it's not got a V8 in it, and that's a big part of <laughs> what I'm about. If it doesn't have a V8 in it, it better have something else that makes it super cool because it's just not going to do it for me. The styling on that, obviously it fits 
the persona of the, you know, uh, gentleman spy, if you will, very well. Uh, I heard on the radio last night that they sold one of his Walther pistols and it brought over a hundred thousand dollars, uh, which I thought was really cool. The, the radio show DJ that I was listening to last night, uh, couldn't believe that it brought that kind of money. I really didn't think that was out of the realm of, you know, the cool factor, you know, it wasn't like it brought like a million bucks or something, but the Walther is a very cool pistol as well. It goes and, and fits very well with the suit or the tuxedo, I guess. And, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta back that up with transportation and the, uh, uh, Austin Martin definitely does later. What kind of was a little bit cooler and that came out a little bit early. I don't know that I was even born when, uh, that particular 007 came out, but I definitely was, or saw it later when the Lotus came out. And if you guys remember that 007, that was the submersible submarine car. The, it folded the wheels in and then it was, that was a much cooler car in my opinion. That had that extra cool factor and fit me a little bit more, but definitely iconic. I mean, anybody that thinks, and, and honestly probably really pushed the Aston Martin brand, if you will. And, and that's going to be a theme throughout a lot of these. The movie carried and picked up the car that may have faded into, into existence. There's a ton of cool cars out there that nobody knows about because you know, they didn't get the notoriety that some of these films brought to it. So it was a little bit of a uh, a marriage uh, relationship and a ton of success. I'm actually going to flip on to one of the ones that showed up later was uh, the Stephen King movie, which is a 1967 Plymouth. Oh, no, hold on. I'm looking at the wrong one. It was a Plymouth Fury. Now, that Plymouth Fury, anybody that's watched Christine... That is the car that fixes itself. Now, from the mechanic in me, that is the coolest thing ever. A car that will self-heal and fix itself. Not just uh, mechanically. That one obviously did it cosmetically. As far as I know, and I'm sure there's some movie buffs out there that know this stuff way better than me, but that's the only movie that Stephen King ever directed. I think he was pretty much the driving force behind that. And the way I understand it is because he was frustrated in the depictions that other f directors had taken his writings and put into uh, theater and into production. So he's like, hey, I can do that better. So he's going to do his own. Um, one of the biggest and my favorites that was not a Stephen King, it was obviously a book, but he didn't direct it was Maximum Overdrive. Uh, the soundtrack, ACDC soundtrack, was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it has a cult following by far. Is it super outlandish? Yes, it absolutely is. Uh, but that was a big thing when I was a kid. The, the special effects in that, if you could call them that, were just absurd, especially as I watch it as an adult now. Uh, it really kind of gave that kind of uh, you know, second kind of cool, if you will. Uh, but once that kind of came out and he had seen other people uh, do his, 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 his writings into screenplay, he just thought, man, I can do better than that. And honestly, Christine, I think in the box office originally didn't do all that well. And so that's 
as far as I understand from the articles that I, I went through, why he didn't do any other uh, producing or directing of films. He's like, man, that was a disaster. And I could not disagree more, honestly. Um, he he did a great job. I mean, that is definitely a cult-followed uh, horror film, if you will. Uh, but did it way differently and better, I think, than a lot of other folks would have. So it just was kind of those things. It, it obviously didn't make the big splash at the box office. Uh, but over the years and, and decades at this point in time, definitely brought some cool factors to a car that I absolutely know would have faded into existence. I mean, that would have been a, a really cool grandma car, if you will. But the fact that it played such a strong character in that series um and i know the writings was even a little bit more dark if you will from the book side of it uh but i thought they did a really really good job uh depicting that if you will and chose the right car you know they didn't pick a camaro or a mustang and, and there's many of those on this list but they picked something a little abstract and a little bit uh you know, off the beaten path and did a really, really cool job with it. I know the the audio, and maybe I'm the only one that pays attention to that kind of stuff. If the engine sounds correct, a lot of times they'll dupe a different engine sound for a car. And because, obviously, I live, eat, and breathe the industry, I can tell when it's wrong. Um, one of my other frustrations is when they get the technical side of it wrong, uh, I'm going to talk about transformers here in a little bit, but, uh, you know, they talk about a Holly double pump carburetor on a fuel injected, uh, V8 engine. And that just drives me batty. It doesn't take that much to, uh, you know, do a little bit of homework or find somebody that knows and make sure that it's right. I'm sure a lot of our uh, firearms aficionados out there uh, have that same issue when, you know, they can, uh, you know, run through, uh, you know, firefights with no magazine changes. It's just, it, it's just not right. You know, John Wick did a great job correcting that, if you will. Terran Tactical was their advisor. So that's what I am trying to, I guess, put out there is that it's not that hard to make sure that your, your, uh, your characters are depicted correctly. Uh, you know, the old movies where they had squealing tires on dirt. Now, I will say I've spent enough time at the dirt tracks around the Springfield area. Uh, had a dear friend of mine for years that I helped on his race team. Uh, towards the end of the night in the feature, you would get that pack tracked, uh, packed down uh, hard enough that you would get squealing tires and it's a really cool part of the night when you get a track uh, that is truly dirt packed in to where it is such, man, time flies. I can't believe we're up against our first break. Where the track is packed in so tight and those cars are so fast if you get the setup right on dirt tracks. So squealing tires on dirt is a real thing. But I digress. We got a lot more to talk about, but we do have to take a break. We'll be right back in a moment. All right. Well, with that intro, how do I not talk about my favorite, Smoking the Bandit, 1977 through 79, Pontiac. GM, if you're out there listening, by the way, the fact that you got rid of Pontiac as a car line is a 
is an atrocity. Pontiac as a car line was awesome for decades, and had you not meddled in it and just let them do what they do, would have continued being awesome. GM kept Buick, and okay, so if you've got a Buick out there, don't be a hater on me. I realize it is a luxury car, if you will. They kept Buick because overseas, the sales is extremely good and dumped Pontiac. I am really bummed out. And it goes back all the way to when I was a kid and Smokey and the Bandit was out. I, I, Without exaggeration, I bet I have watched that movie hundreds of times on VHF, by the way. There's a lot of you out there, I'm sure, know what I'm talking about. But a few out there that probably don't. That movie was probably one of the best uh, films ever made. It really told a great story, had great characters in there. Burt Reynolds, Sally Fields, I mean, Cletus Snow. I I can go on and on and on and on and on. Uh, There were so, so many other characters in that. Obviously, the truck, I believe it was a Peterbilt, if you will was a fantastic depiction of a fun time. I mean, how can you not watch Smoking the Bandit and not at least, you know, get a a good uh, smile on your face, if not just utter joy? That car or cars, which they tore up a fair amount of cars in that, T-Top, Big Block, uh trans am that had one of the best paint schemes and really did a great job setting up that car so one day like when i'm old and gray i am going to find one and i am going to bring it back to its prior glory if not even a little bit better that is a very fond memory of my childhood so when i turned i think 15 uh, it was not a Trans Am. It was a Firebird, but I had a 1979. It did not have the big block. It had a 301 V8, which was a little lackluster, I'll be honest. Uh, I did not have T-tops, but it did have a sunroof in it. I spent the better part of a year putting that car back together. It came in. It was what was called a basket case. Now, my my uh, car automotive brethren will know what that term means. For those of you that maybe have never seen or dealt with one, basically that means that whatever the uh, mechanical project is comes in boxes and milk crates and baskets because somebody else took it apart, lost interest, lost finances, whatever the case may be, and passed it down the line. And usually you can get it at a deal, and they call it a basket case because it shows up in baskets and boxes and milk crates and Uh, Maybe not milk crates anymore because that's a little bit harder to come by. But back in the day, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, that was my first project vehicle. And I worked long, long hours on it with my dad. It it had been wrecked a little bit as well. We had to put a new door, I think, on it and straighten the the post to where the door closes. Uh, It had been T-boned lightly. Uh, Got the engine all reassembled, put new cylinder heads on it, uh, headers, the whole deal, my dad, uh, his specialty or background is paint and body work. He put a beautiful paint job on there. And I put a number on it, and somebody bought it, which was a super bummer, man. If I could ever walk that back, 
and not have done that and kept that car, I would have definitely still owned that car. But I was young and I was stupid and I sold it. So in penance, we're going to talk about (laughs) what I'm going to do down the road. And one of these days I will. I absolutely love those cars. Definitely a great job. If you listen very carefully, you can hear some of the manual transmission cars in there. But any of the uh, video that was taken inside the car, you see that it was an automatic. So the stunt drivers basically did a lot of their stunts in the manual transmission because there are some capabilities that you can get the car to do with a manual and a skilled driver that you just won't get it to do with an automatic. doesn't mean the automatic's bad. I drive a lot of automatics. They make some great transmissions. Um, They do some really cool things, uh, but there's just a difference in what the capabilities of those vehicles will do. So definitely a super, super cool setup, and I hope a lot of you out there have had even a a fraction of the amount of joy that I have with those and some of the details that they put into that, the making of that. They did a good job, Uh, even technically when I watched that. They did a great, great job. So we've covered that one, obviously. One of the next ones, and honestly, I'm not super-duper familiar with American Graffiti. I need to honestly pull that up and watch it. Um, but it pulls up every time you look at iconic movie cars. They they call it a uh, 1932 Ford Coupe highboy. And apparently George Lucas was the director of this. Um, had some huge names, Ron Howard, Harrison Ford, uh, Richard Dreyfus in there. Um, and from what I researched on this, it actually was GM powered. It had a 327 small block Chevrolet in there. Now, all you Chevy guys are out there probably just grinning like, uh, you know, the cat ate the canary there that, uh, the only way to get a Ford to go fast is put a Chevy engine in it. If I've heard that once, I've heard it a thousand times. Uh, you know, there may be some truth to that, you can get a lot of power out of a Chevy very inexpensively. And that's my argument back to that. Does it hold together? Yeah, they hold together pretty good. I got to give them that. I really, really do. Um, Ford has done some amazingly awesome things. And if you look at some of the designs that they've done, uh, especially in the later years, Ford and GM have worked much, much closer together. And a lot of folks peg me as a Ford guy, and I can't deny that, honestly. I really appreciate a lot of the Ford engineering out there. But I tell everybody that I love them all, and that really, really is true. I I realize I'm super hard on my European imports, and some people may call me a hater when it comes down to that stuff. It's really not that I'm a hater on there. Um, I love putting things back like the way that they would or should have been. And it's a little bit more difficult when you deal with an older European vehicle. And that's really one of my biggest gripes about that. The expected cost and time frame of repairs, most folks feel that it's going to be similar to a domestic or an Asian vehicle. And it just is not. The amount of cost and repairs that go along with an imported older European vehicle is uh, uh, significantly more. And that's a stumbling block that I have to overcome at the service counter quite often. And so it just, it, it does leave a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth when I can see what it takes to deal with an Asian or European, or uh, I'm sorry, Asian or domestic car line. 
But I don't want to get down off that. That's, I'm not going to be a hater today. Hopefully, we're <laughs> we're talking about some cool things, uh, some of our heritage, if you will. This one should strike a chord with most of you out there. And actually, I think it was last week as Kyle uh, was leaving and I was coming into the show, he asked me if I've ever worked on a DeLorean. And I can honestly say no, no, I haven't. Would I? Sure. Um, it, I know many technicians over the years that have serviced them. Uh, one of the, my favorite trainers out of central Missouri has uh, significant experience, and he talks about um, that they're a little lackluster. You know, they have what I would consider the aesthetics or the second kind of cool um, you know, the, the, the fat, uh, fast and the furious. We're going to talk about that later as well. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, the back to the future franchise, which with that being said, you know, a lot of times when they have a franchise, they get kind of watered down or they get uh, complacent or too big for their britches. Uh, I can honestly say I enjoy all of the back to the future franchise. They did a really good job keeping it close to the vest, if you will. And the 1981 DeLorean um, definitely was a huge character in that movie. It, you know, DeLorean obviously went out of business, went bankrupt. You know, there's a limited amount of those. Um, I have seen him in person. I was at a large training event in Kansas City, walking downtown by the waterfront. It's probably been about 10 years ago. Uh, they were putting a Tesla dealership in down there. So we were kind of checking that out. I realize that's not a tourist destination but for you know the automotive folk we walked down there and took a look at it and there was a delorean sitting out there that somebody had you know been out night on the town so definitely super cool um they had a a a pretty wimpy v6 in them uh production wise i think the spec uh when they're running well is about 130 horse which when you look at a late model v6 in like our camaros or mustang i mean they're pushing well over 300 uh, some of our forced induction four cylinders are are doing that on a uh, you know late model vehicle. So to drive something now and then get back into something that's got 130 horsepower on a heavy heavy car. By the way, I, I I probably should look up what curb weight on that thing is, but I bet it is unbelievably heavy. To get to 88 miles an hour, you'd probably need to tow it. And I'm not just you know poking too much fun. But the prop crew decided, hey, to make this thing somewhat realistic and even attempt to spin the tires, I believe they did convert it over. And as far as I could tell, they did put a V8 in it. Um, and that would have been the only way to get that thing to 88 miles an hour because of the way and the, the weight that that thing represented. But still super cool. When you've got the Lambo doors that open like that, uh, stainless steel body, Obviously, all the cool interior stuff, the flux capacitor. Um, I have seen that in parts store um, cataloging, by the way. It was super cool. Um, I was part of a uh, development project probably about uh, maybe 12 years ago where they were building a new parts cataloging system. And uh, that was one of the ways that they kind of made sure nobody was, uh, you know, taking a piece of their pie in anything that they were developing uh, but if you search flux capacitor, it would pull up, which I thought was kind of cool. Obviously, they didn't have one. So, you know, don't try and get on the Internet and order it, which with the Internet, you probably can order anything at this point. But the DeLorean, definitely super duper cool. Um, uh, the electrical system, from what I understand, that they put in them, the harness, the wiring was 
a little bit to be desired, which created some frustration. But one of a kind. I mean, I, I don't know of any other full stainless steel body cars that were ever produced in any kind of uh, volume. And when you look at the uh, the fun that came along with that movie, that's another thing part of it. That's a fun movie. That really gets a lot of people hooked on that. You know, you kind of get to uh, live a little bit, if you will, through, you know, the cinema, which is what it's about. You know, either you, you're a horror movie person and you like being scared and the thrill that that goes. Maybe you're a love story person and you like your, your notebook movies. Um, and that's cool, too. But I definitely was a uh, <laughs> car part of it, and I really enjoy that as well. Before we step into the break, I need to cover one more, which is the 1968 Mustang GT Bullet. That is the Steve McQueen. And it's been a few years ago, but I actually did work on a uh, replica, if you will. It did have the Cobra Jet engine in it. I believe that one had the 390 on the the, uh, the one they used in the movie. Definitely some fantastic car chases. Steve McQueen did a great job in that movie. And I got to give the Mustang the credit, man. I mean, that was a huge, strong character that it was able to play. Um, When you look at the car chases, that really set the mood. And you can see and look over time how awesome that they have been able to build off of some of those uh, developments that they made during some of these early uh, scenes and how to film that. You know, we talked about Christine earlier. You know, they blackened or tinted the windows when it was going through one of its evil moments. So you didn't really know whether, you know, it was manned or unmanned. Uh, You know, that definitely cool. I mean, they they really thought outside the box. And the current cinema really has taken a lot from that and built on it as well. But we're down at the bottom of the hour. When we come back, we're going to talk about another one of my favorites right after this. All right, welcome back. You've got Dustin Atwood here in the studio. Kind of, you know, why do you love your car? Why do you hate your car? Why do you, why do you like, eh, it's kind of indifferent. Uh, a lot of that, really kind of your mindset behind that is, is uh, you know, kind of your perception of what you're using it for. You know, do you want to go on cruisings and hang out and go to car shows? Well, then you're going to have a cool car. Do you want it just as a commuter and gas mileage is your only concern? Well, then you're probably going to have what I would consider an economic car. And that's cool, too. I'm not uh, putting it out there. Do you do work with your vehicle? Do you haul and tow? Well, you're probably going to be my truck brethren or sisterin, if you will. And I know there's a lot of you out there that uh, ladies have your truck and you're proud of those. Uh, I have loved this industry forever. Uh, Each one of my vehicles over the years. Uh, you know, I've had, uh, I've lost count at this point in time. I've had a lot of cars and trucks and had a few vans in there, um, over the years. And, you know, they all have different uses. I delivered firewood out of the back of a V6 two wheel drive Chevy van for many years when I was in high school. And, uh, I can't tell you how many times I pulled up to deliver a rick of wood and they're like, wow, never seen anybody deliver wood out of a van before, but you know, you, you work with what you got. So that was how I made some money while I was in high school. I would sell a Rickwood for $25 and I would drive, you know, probably about 
$28 worth of gas delivering it sometimes. So I wasn't quite a savvy uh, wood delivery man or businessman back then. Um, and my old van, it, it needed some love. But, you know, that thing was pretty rock solid. That was the first transmission I ever changed was in that van, honestly. Uh, did it out in the grass, in the driveway, outside, in the dirt. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, but uh, thankfully my dad got home from work and showed me what I had done wrong and helped me get it in and out and uh, drove that van a lot more lot, lot more miles even after the transmission went out of it. So that's kind of where it came from, where it started. Um, a lot of people love their vehicle when they're running good, and a lot of people can't stand their vehicle when it's running bad. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, oh, just, you know, get it together or patch it up or do, you know, do whatever you can for me. I'm selling this thing. I've heard that a lot, a lot. And then six months later, two years later, five years later, same story. Oh, well, it's running bad again. Go ahead and just patch it up. I'm selling this thing. Well, that was like five years ago. So do we want to actually fix this thing to where you're in good shape? And get many, many more miles out of it and not continue to get on this roller coaster. Um, you know, or maybe you are selling it and it doesn't fit your needs. I really believe the only reason that at least I, from my point of view, sell or get rid of a vehicle is because it no longer serves its purpose. You know, it there's nothing I can't fix. So it it really comes down to, uh, we've talked about repowers, and, and I don't want to get into that too much today, but... Um, it really comes down to, does it serve the needs that you have? You know, do you have more kids than you used to and you need another row of seating? Um, are you, did you get a camper, a boat, uh, you know, some kind of a trailer and the towing capacity now is exceeded? And anybody that knows me is sick of hearing about towing capacity from me, but it is a real deal. And I, I advise and I coach on this because I see what happens when you exceed your towing capacity, just because your lifted truck can pull it doesn't mean it should. Just because your SUV has a trailer hitch or your uh, Honda Civic or your Prius, that's the best one. Just because your Prius has a trailer hitch doesn't mean you should be towing with it. The towing capacity of a Honda Civic, if I remember right, it's somewhere between six and 900 pounds. Sometimes you can pile that much in the car, let alone pile it in the car and hook a trailer to it. So the, that it's a real deal. So you need to take that in consideration. And if you're flirting with the maximum rating, wow, I got down a rabbit trail here. I'll reel this back in here. But if you're flirting with it, you either need to upgrade the vehicle to deal with a extra load, or you need to upgrade the vehicle to something that can handle and exceeds uh, the capability of what it is that you're asking it to do. But back to the show. Wow, I got out there on that one. One of my favorite movies and series of all time is the Mad Max franchise, especially the very, very first one. The budget was less, and I appreciate that. The production's a little rougher, a little raw, if you will. Um, but that particular one, Mel Gibson obviously is the lead in that one. It was a 73 GT Ford Falcon. Now, I don't believe that particular setup was sold here in the States. Obviously, most 
uh, I believe all of the first one came out of Australia. They did an awesome job with that movie, with the Pursuit Special Interceptor car. Um, the, the long and short of it, in my opinion, is basically you had a great officer that was getting burned out, and they had to entice him a little bit. They had to sweeten the pot a little bit. And so they all had pursuit cars, which the four-door pursuit cars were still really cool cars. Um, they really tore up a ton of them making those, those uh, the, the, the series, if you will, but especially that first one. A lot of cool motorcycles in there. Um, motorcycles are cool. It doesn't really, you know, that's not my thing. Um, would I have one someday? Maybe. Um, but the car part of it definitely, definitely is. And with that set up and that Pursuit Special, they did some cool things in there. That was a 351 V8 with a supercharger bolted to the top of that. Now, what I never really understood, and they didn't really get into it until some of the Beyond Thunderdome, they had, had gotten away from the car, but uh, the Mad Max uh, first and second one, they had a point where they turned off the supercharger. And I always thought that was complete BS. Even as I got into the automotive industry, there was a electromagnetic switch. Well, there was electromagnetic coupler on the front of the supercharger, but a switch on his shifter. And when he was running low on fuel at one point through one of the series, he turned it off, um, which decreased the amount of air going into the engine, which adversely took away some of the fuel now i'm getting a little technical but just bear with me here i'll bring this around and i thought yeah movie props you know blah 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 and then later when the mercedes compressor which is your little two-door sports car came onto the market they actually used that and they did it a little differently but they have a belt driven pro charger which is a different way to do forced induction but as the RPM comes up, it electromagnet engages the front of that procharger, increases forced induction and performance. So it's awesome to me and a little scary sometimes, honestly, as well. Not just car related, but the movies really kind of, they paint the picture of what the future could be. It's almost like they push that envelope and they develop something. And then reality catches up to it later and they think, wow, you know, we have the technology. We can build it. That's a little frame off the Million Dollar Man, in case nobody caught that. Uh, bigger, better, and stronger. And they did. And Mercedes actually released that in their, like I said, their compressor model, two-door sports car performance. Uh, really cool little car. And when I started working on those, it clicked with me that that is basically what they had shown in the the Mad Max franchise. So super cool series. I mean, even the uh, the uh, in that one as well, I should have got the specs on it. Uh, but their personal car was a station wagon. Now, I'm not a station wagon kind of guy by no means. Most of them, I think, are complete rubbish. But they did a really cool job with their station wagon in that. I'll have to look up the specs on that one. But definitely a good part of series Something that I looked at for horsepower performance and the capabilities of what a car could do. You know, it's it's everybody's got a you know daily driver 
goes from point A to point B, does it pretty, you know, well, if you will, or dependable, uh, but does it do it with style? And that particular movie, 73 Ford Falcon Pursuit Special, that thing had style for days and for decades at this point because we're still talking about it. We do need to take another break. We'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back. We've got just a little bit of time left in the show, and I have cars for days to talk about. But I did pull up the magic of Google, and the station wagon that they talk about was the Max Panel Van. And I don't really think it was a van, but they listed it as a 75 Holden H.J. Sandman. And I'm guessing that was the character that it was. Um, it says the front had been replaced with a Statesman. But that was a pretty cool rig, honestly. It had some roof racks on it, had a wide stance on it. Obviously, uh, you know, it was a part of the show, if you will. But lots and lots of cars through there, all of them characters. They were actually all named. I was really shocked to see all that. The Big Bopper, the Pursuit, the Pursuit Special. They actually had names for all of them. Uh, but all of their pursuits were based off that Falcon uh, the XB was the Pursuit Special, and the XA was the Sedan. Shows that as a six-cylinder. Not cool. Definitely got to have the V8 in there. V8 or nothing. I will say they're making some really cool supercharged or uh, turbocharged stuff at this point in time. But I digress. Before we decide and run out of time, I'm going to have to shift around. The uh, So I went ahead and ordered it the other day. I've had it multiple times, couldn't find it, so I ordered another one off the old uh, interwebs. But the Gone in 60 Seconds, the later version, with Nicolas Cage and the Eleanor 1967 Shelby GT500, that whole movie has basically built around cars and characters, if you will, that... Uh, Eleanor was a feat of unbelievable performance and some very good car chases in there. They had some old Plymouths in there. They obviously had some Porsches in there. Lots of Ferraris for my Ferrari fans out there. Um, man, they had some cool stuff. Basically, 50 high-end cars is the premise if you've not seen that movie or it's been a minute. Uh, that they had to steal or boost in one night using some uh, slang there. But the whole thing is built around, and many of these on my list are Mustangs. Um, I, the next one here is the John Wick series. Uh, he had especially the very first one where he takes it out and runs it in the airport. Uh, you know, when he gets his car stolen, and, and obviously they kill his dog, unbelievably horrible people. But that is what sets him off. You know, they steal his car, they kill his dog, and he, he goes back for vengeance. And that was a sweet Mustang. Goes to a chop shop, and everybody knows that you don't mess with John Wick's car. Super big character of that series. And they did their homework all the way across the board. The director and the... Uh, 
folks that really paid attention to detail, that was a great series. Um, one of them that I don't want to leave off the list is the Bluesmobile. 1974 Dodge, 440, old cop car. My goodness, they got the goods out of that car. Wow. If you don't love that movie, I don't know. I mean, the <laughs> the shenanigans that go on in that series, absolutely awesome. They did a great job and did a good job with a what I would consider a lackluster car. I mean, those cars... Um, really were not super famous. I don't know how many cars they used for the police pileups uh, in Chicago. Holy cow. They destroyed some cars. So uh, I, this is going to be a little bit of a curveball here. Um, the 1976 AMC Pacer from Wayne's World. Wayne's World, party time, excellent. That... When they go into the Queen, uh, I believe it was Bohemian Rhapsody, singing session in the Pacer. I mean, come on. How does everybody not go max volume on that and rock out? But they used a Pacer. The Pacer's not cool. It's really not. But that made it cool. When I was, I don't know, probably 10 or 12 and that movie came out, lots of humor that I definitely didn't understand that when you watch it later as an adult, you get I'm like, oh, they slid that in there, and I had no idea. Uh, but the AMC Pacer, you know, definitely kind of a, a left curve there. Any of our Cars fans from Pixar, that was kind of the lemon car. You know, that was the hater car because they were broke down all the time. Um, the Ecomobile from Ghostbusters. I mean, that was a, a real deal. I've actually worked on a lot of those Cadillac Hearse for some reason. As I sit here and think about that, I'm not sure why. They just kind of seem to find me. Uh, they're super cool. If you ever drive around in one, which, you know, part of a, a correct repair is to validate what's going on, fix it, and then make sure that you have uh, proven the repair by taking it on a short test drive. So the last one we had, it's been a year or two ago, uh, one of the uh, haunted houses was using it as a prop, and so we were getting it ready. They had bought it super cheap and sitting around forever, and I needed to get it going, which I did. And so I needed to run some good fuel through there, so I took it on a little drive. Man, the looks and the notoriety that you get when you drive one of those old Cadillac Hearsts around. You need like a country mile to turn that thing because the wheelbase is like 60 miles long. Crazy cool. Most of them had a big block caddy in them. I believe that one, the 59 Cadillac that they used as the Ecomobile, had a 6.1 liter, which I believe is a 500 caddy, if I'm not mistaken. If you ever want to know cubic inches versus liters, there is 61 cubic inches for every liter so you have to divide those and you can find out what the if it's uh you know a cubic inch or liter designation you can um, do the math and figure those out uh that's a fact back from uh when i was in my trade school uh, greg allen taught me that down in monette missouri absolutely amazing instructor so thankful for what he was able to share with me and basically kind of you know pass his knowledge on to be a productive technician, if you will. Um, the the next one is the Ferris Bueller car. 
which I always thought was a Ferrari, but I don't believe that it, it was. They call it an 85 GT Spider. Uh, I need to do a little bit more research on that one, but you know, through the 80s and 90s, um, those kind of movies were a big deal. You know, that we used to they used to play on regular TV. You know, we weren't all you know hooked on the internet back then. It really wasn't a thing. And when Ferris Bueller came on, like I was probably like in my you know maybe eight to ten years old. So, you know, when I got in high school, I thought that's what high school was, is that you got to skip school and go to a ball game and, you know, steal your buddy's dad's super duper cool car and gallivant around. Um, But, uh, you know, that was not reality, but it was kind of neat. A little bit further up, and I was surprised this one came up when I was kind of seeing what everybody thought was cool. Um, But Tommy Boy with Chris Farley had a 67 Plymouth Belvedere GTX with a 440 six-pack in it. And that was a super-duper cool car. Uh, a little bit obscure, if you will. That's not your Camaros and Mustangs and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But definitely a cool car. If I ever got the opportunity to wheel and deal into one of those that was in decent shape, I would so do that. And I'm not a big Dodge Plymouth guy. Um, I'm not saying they don't have some cool stuff. Obviously, that is definitely one of them. Uh, those cars are very stylish, um, obviously tons of horsepower. What Dodge was able to do back in the day, obviously the Hemi, uh, and even the 440 in this one with the sick pack on there, just amazing. When you see those cars that are still in good shape to this day, I mean, really, I don't care whether you like them or not, they're super cool. One of the last ones that I need to slide in as we're winding up the show is the 67 charger the general lee from dukes of hazards uh another dodge you know i can't take anything away i know i uh i uh you know kind of beat on uh mopar a little bit but i gotta give them some props man they have built some super duper stuff over the years and uh really made a name for themselves they always push the envelope on styling chrysler even owned by fiat at this point in time still making some neat stuff some of their engineering and, and uh, quality control, uh, I, I, uh, I question. Uh, do we figure them out, get them built bigger, better, and stronger? Yeah, we do. Do we keep them on the road, You know, make sure you're getting every mile you can out of them? Sure. But the 69 Dodge Charger, the General Lee, is iconic. I mean, I don't know anybody that can't see that or hear the Dixie horn and not know exactly where that came from. I actually had a customer that we did an engine job, and I installed the Dixie horn on his F-150. He honked every single time he drove by the shop for years. I hope you guys have a safe and wonderful weekend. It's a little different show. If you have something that uh, you think we ought to talk about, just let me know at the shops. You have an awesome and safe weekend. We'll see you next week.